0: Everyone, and welcome to the 15th podcast of Basha's Thoughts. So, today I'm going to talk to you about a question that I have, and I asked a lot of people about the question. And there was one person in particular that got me thinking about one thing, and it has to do with why our world is seems to be structured so that we are not becoming happier and we are just struggling more and more and suffering more and more. So let me start with the question. What was the question? I wanted to know what people think. I wanted to know what people want to know. So the question I posed was, if you could get the answer to this and you could pose one or two questions, what would you like to know about life or the world or the universe in general, what would you really like to know if you could get the answer? What do you think people answered? Well, I was actually happily surprised to see that there was a diversity in the answers to this question. It wasn't just the same answer all the time. And I can see different types of patterns in it. So let me just give you some ideas of what people answered. Unless, of course, you want to stop And think about it for yourself. And then get back and see how you fit in with the questions that the other people provided me with. One of the questions that came up was related to death. What happens after death? Is there a life after death? Can we somehow survive our death? Can we somehow make ourselves survive our death? Will we in the future be able to have a technology so that we do not die and we can live forever? So the idea of an eternal life and what it is like was one of the themes that pervaded. Also, there were related questions like, is our day of death already written in the stars or can we change it? How much can we actually influence our death and time of death? So this was one line of questions. Another one was a line that is related to Buddha and uh, Buddha's question about suffering. Because Buddha saw that there is suffering, there is sickness, there is death, and old age that leads to death and disease. He saw that this was happening around him And then he wanted to know, is there a way to end suffering? Can we move beyond it? And there are some persons asking this same question in different ways. How do we end suffering, basically? Also, this may be related and it has to do with purpose. What is the purpose of life? What is the nature and purpose of life? And more personally from a lot of people, why am I here? What is my purpose here? What am I supposed to do here? What am I doing here? (laughs) And then there were also questions that were kind of coming through a lens of society. Coming through a lens of what is going on around them in society, what they believe that they see in society, or even what is going on right now. And these questions were questions like, more personal, why is everyone so self-centered? Why is everyone self-destructive? Why are we all like that? So that was one question. And then another way of posing a similar question was a person who sort of recognized that Maybe it's not just me, maybe it's not me who is always choosing, perhaps there are some greater forces behind it, because all the structures around us in society seem to be pushing us in rather negative directions. Why? Why is this happening? So there was a question and a person asked why is our society such that we have to live with a false sense of progress and our spiritual life is basically squashed to the point where we no longer know who we are it's interesting i think it's in the bible that it says that this world is the world of the devil this is where the devil is king this material world where we live right now physical world And that's interesting, okay. Why is that? Actually, this is what I want to talk to you about. But before we do that, there was another question that I found interesting. It's also related to Buddha's question. It has to do with degeneration. And the question was, why does everything degenerate in time? It's related to Buddha's question because it has to do with aging, for instance. Over time we tend to age, and as we age our propensity to get all kinds of diseases increases until we finally get one and we are so frail that we actually die. So we will usually tend to die from some kind of disease, but in a way it is old age that is killing us, even though it's not written on the death certificate. So it might be a flu, it might, might be cancer, it might be heart disease. But all of that, the probability of us getting it and of us suffering from it increases as we age. And so some people see aging as a disease, actually. Even some researchers who are trying to cure the disease of aging. And why would you say that? Why would you see it as a disease? Isn't it true that everyone ages? Well, No. <laughs> There are actually species that don't age. And there are species that just become stronger, more vital, bigger and better as they become older. They never age. They do tend to die, but that's because of other diseases or because they are hunted. Actually, you might have eaten one of these individuals. Lobsters. See, lobsters just become more and more vital, and larger, and better at everything, as they age. Because they don't lose any kind of vitality. There's this, I think, a 100-and-something-year-old lobster uh, living in captivity somewhere in um, Japan, I read about at some point, it's very big, and uh, seems to be doing well, healthy, no diseases, that's good. And then there are other species as well. I think it's in the Mediterranean Ocean that we have a type of jellyfish that goes through regenerative types of cycles where it goes back to being a baby. And then it redoes its own cycle again. And so you don't actually know. There is no way of genetically or or any way knowing how old... The individual is, is this their first cycle, or is this their hundredth cycle? You have no way of telling. Of course, they also die because of circumstances, but not because of old age. So that's interesting to notice, that there are ways of moving beyond that. Also, there are some stories about even people, individuals who have been able to become illuminated and also been able to perfect and control their bodies so that they don't age. They decide that they don't need it anymore. They don't need it anymore. What does that mean? Who needs aging? (laughs) Who needs suffering? Well, that's the thing. Why is there suffering? What is so good about suffering? Suffering seems to really propel us into growth. See, when we are complacent, when we are feeling good, when we are comfortable, we don't tend to grow. We don't tend to actively look for ways of growth, ways of growing and improving, learning. So in a sense... Suffering is something that can help us grow. And if you think about it, people who have gone through really tough situations are often the ones who later on can help others because they have been in a really difficult situation and they know how to get out of it. I remember reading a book about a man who had cancer and was basically sentenced to death. But he was able to overcome it. And then he was asked, if you could choose, your experience with cancer was very painful. It involved a lot of struggles, a lot of suffering on many levels, not just the physical level. If you could choose and go back in time, would you eliminate that from your life? And the man said, never. It's the most transformative and the best thing that ever happened to me. And I can see it now that I've gone through it. So suffering seems to propel us. It's almost like a force that is driving us to become better in different ways. And very often we become more compassionate, less judgmental, and just more beautiful as people. We will tend to connect on a true human level with others, the giraffe language, the nonviolent communication that we talked about in another podcast. So, we tend to communicate and connect to the center of another person and have real, meaningful interactions instead of blaming, judging, and not really connecting with anyone or acting out of fear and defense mechanisms, and never really being able to connect. So suffering can help us in that. And if it's a part of life, well then, hey, there's a good chance that this life will help you grow. If there is a purpose that is related to growth and learning in some sense, well, then you will probably do that chances are life will create circumstances that lead to that. Of course, suffering is not the only way to grow. You can grow in other ways. And perhaps the illuminated persons who just decide not to grow old might really not need it because they have already reached the conclusion. They have already seen. They know who they are. So what about the question regarding the devil being the master of the universe and the one who seems to be the king of the material world? And if we look into our society, we can see a lot of evidence of that, where the masses are suffering and only a few persons have great wealth Whereas most people do not. There is no equality. There is, but not just in terms of money, in terms of opportunity, in terms of so many things. So when we look at that question, we ask why. Why did this happen? And I have an idea here, actually. I think that this just might be related to the fact that so far in known human history, we have only been able to organize ourselves through the hierarchy of power and trust, where we trust someone else to do something in our best interest. This is something that becomes essential when we have larger groups, not a group of 10 or 100 people, but imagine a city or a country or a continent so when you have these huge organizations in some, of some sort, well, then you have to organize them somehow. You have to make them all work together. And that's where you create the hierarchy. You have this in business, in companies. You have the persons that are the highest up and then the persons below them and then those below them. And then you go all the way until you get to the bottom of the pyramid where you usually have most people and this has been a system that we have seen does not work well with the human psyche. It breeds corruption and has so many problems inside of it and in our society we can clearly see so many problems that are all related to this. So now, for the first time ever, well at least in known human history. Perhaps some 15,000 years ago, there was a society that was more evolved. But at least as far as we know, this is the first time when we can organize things, not through power and the hierarchy of power, but through autonomy. And autonomy is a different system. See, it becomes a net instead of being a pyramid. So there is no center of power. It's a decentralized system. You might have heard that. This is something that we've had since 2009, when Bitcoin started to work. And I think that this autonomy and organization through autonomy is related to one, computers, or our ability to process a lot of data, and two, A system that is decentralized, that is not something that creates this hierarchy that we are so used to. And the really interesting part is that for those systems to work really well, there are a lot of other things around them that have to work in a very different way than they do right now. So now in society, There are all these power games and all these ideas of, for instance, using fear. If you can make people feel a lot of fear, then they think less, and then you can protect them. You can pretend to protect them, and you can take away their rights, and you can control them so much better. And we're very much in those cycles right now. We're Our rights are being taken away more and more. Our rights to our bodies will be taken away very soon. And we will have to be injected with all sorts of things for our own protection. So these kinds of strategies are all part of the hierarchy of power and trust. Whereas the autonomy systems, the decentralized organization through autonomy... Focuses on autonomy. See, this is where you could use the wisdom of crowds, where the crowd gives you the best information because your mathematical system will actually extract the information and throw away the noise. You can do this. You might have heard about, I think that the story that's most often told is the the bull at the market, there was a market and a bull that was really big. And they said that whoever guesses the weight of this bull will win the bull. And so there were a lot of people guessing. So everyone would write down their guess. And then they would take a look at all the guesses. And they would weigh the bull. And whoever comes the closest is the winner. But they also did something else. They took the average. So they summed all of the answers and divided them by the number of entries. And the average that they reached was super precise, was pretty much exactly the weight of the bull. You might think, that's, odd. that's strange, but actually... This is a mathematical way of doing exactly what I was telling you, of extracting the information and reducing and throwing away the noise. But for this kind of system to work mathematically, you have to have independent information. So you cannot have a population that has been duped to think one particular thing. Because if everyone would have agreed that the bull weighs a particular amount, uh, 1,258 kilos, and everyone would have written that, that on a piece of paper, well then, that would not have worked at all. I mean, that the average of that is just exactly that. But if you can take individual, independent, autonomous information, then... You can start getting amazing predictions. In fact, right now you have Augur, which is a prediction engine online. A decentralized one, I think. I'm pretty sure. And uh, if you go there, you will be able to see all sorts of predictions. So you can, for instance, suggest something. A question, for instance. uh, What will happen? Uh, Who will win the presidential elections you're interested in? And then people will give their input. And the idea is that this prediction engine, if it gets enough input, and if the input is indeed autonomous in the sense of coming from different sources, people thinking individually, well then, it's going to be extremely precise. So you can use the knowledge and wisdom of crowds in this way. And these systems that are decentralized and yet bring organization can use that. And they can become better than the best people in the world. See, here's something interesting. If you take the world-leading experts on a particular topic and you give them a complex problem to solve, it turns out that those leading experts will actually do better if you also put in some not-so-leading experts, non-experts into the mix. That group will actually turn out to do better than the leading experts. What? (laughs) Super interesting. It's a big universe that you can study about, and there are books about it that are truly fascinating. Maybe I can link to some of them. But that's the idea, that right now, for the first time ever, we have the possibility of organizing through autonomy and not through the hierarchy of power and trust. Instead, we put our trust in our mathematics. And those systems will require us to become free, independently thinking individuals, because that's when it will work the best. So in the world around us we do see the power gains going on and then and they are becoming stronger and stronger right now. More and more of our rights are being taken away but in the background we do have the persons working on these alternatives. Alternatives that can be ways out. Alternatives that can create a society that is fundamentally different from what we have seen for millennia. And I find that fascinating. So, thank you for listening today. And I'll talk to you in another episode. Take care.